Yep, my name's Kat and I'll be leading us through our Bible reading today. We've got two, one from Genesis 45, 1 to 15, and then we'll be reading Genesis 50, 15 to 26. And if you picked up a blue Bible, we're starting on page 48. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence? So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard all about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him, because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I'm your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now, do not be distressed, and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been famine in the land, and for the next five years there will be no ploughing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, This is what your son Joseph says. God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me. You, your children and your grandchildren, your flocks and herds and all you have. I'll provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to it will become destitute. You can see for yourselves, and so can my brother Benjamin, that it is really I who am speaking to you. Tell my father about all the honour accorded to me in Egypt, and about everything you have seen, and bring my father down here quickly. Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept, and Benjamin embraced him weeping, and he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. Afterward, his brothers talked with him. Moving over to Genesis 50. Starting at verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph, saying, Your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His his brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Joseph stayed in Egypt, along with all his father's family. He lived 110 years and saw the third generation of Ephraim's children. Also the children of Mekiah, son of Manasseh, were placed at birth on Joseph's knees. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And Joseph made the Israelites swear an oath and said, God will surely come to your aid and then you must carry my bones up from this place. 
So Joseph died at the age of 110, and after they embalmed him, he was placed in a coffin in Egypt. Uh, Question, um, what did the year 2019 look like for you? Uh, What were your plans? I I reckon, uh, 2020 as well, I reckon, um, what... I planned, looks something like this. You had plans and dreams, you're going to retire, go on holiday, move house, get a new job, have a baby, and your plans were looking pretty good. Pretty good, pretty good. And then, along came something called COVID, and then what actually happened, what happened, looked a bit like this. And it's probably there and there's been lots of ups and downs and squiggles along the way. Um, our best laid plans got thrown up. And every one of us has a story to tell. Everyone has been affected differently. Everyone was not able to find toilet paper. We all went through it. None of us, though, did anything to get into the pandemic. You did not wake up and say, today I will have a pandemic, please. It happened. It's circumstantial. But it changed our lives. And what I planned versus what happened, it reminds me very much, I think I did this too big, of the Joseph story. A-P-H. Oh, I'm not going to run a room. There we go. It reminds me of the Joseph story that we, we heard read. We're in a series called Promise and Blessing, and this is the last week. And week after week, we have seen God working with flawed people to bring about his promised rescue and blessing to humanity, which was lost in the garden through a chosen family line, beginning with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But now we get to Joseph, the biggest narrative in in Genesis, and it changes a little bit. Joseph is portrayed as very different to the rest of his family. And rather than seeing... in how God works through flawed people, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, over and over again. With Joseph, we see how God works through someone faithful, yet every circumstance is against them. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob get in the way of the promise. Joseph understands it, is faithful, but every moment in his life is a series of ups and downs and ups and downs and ups and downs, over and over again. Circumstances are against him, like this. So, what I want to do is paint a picture first with three um, contextual pictures of Joseph's life so we can understand him and what God is up to. Uh, The first part, as I said, is that the narrative makes Joseph out to be very faithful. Very faithful man of God. He's far more in tune to God's promise than the rest of his family was. And just as God works despite the flaws of his people to bring about his blessing, Joseph's life reminds us that despite all of our circumstance against his people, God will bring about his blessing and promise. Despite ourselves, despite our circumstance, God will accomplish it to bring about the blessing of humanity no matter what is happening. Even if faithful, godly people suffer at the hands of others. He is faithful, yet he suffers. Joseph shows us that a faithful one from God's family line is not immune to suffering, 
brokenness, evil. Secondly, Joseph sets up for us the idea of this innocent one suffering for the good of others to save many lives. That's the second point. Joseph saves many lives. The harm Joseph's brothers intended for him, which we saw in the video, God turned it into good, and I'll explain what that is in a moment. But, but at the time, you have to realize Joseph doesn't realize it's working out for good when he gets thrown into a pit or put in jail. What is the good that God's working towards in all of these down moments? Well, it's the survival of the people of the promise because the covenant will not fail. And thirdly, Joseph is from the family of promise, but he's not next in line for the blessing. Later generations will speak of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, not Joseph. Uh, Judah actually gets the blessing. He's the fourthborn, and through him, uh, the line will continue. But Joseph has faith in the God of the promise, which means Joseph's story is actually the hinge between Genesis and Exodus, the next book in the Bible. Number three, it's the hinge into Exodus. How does a family end up in Egypt as 75 people and 400 years later become over a million? Well, Joseph shows us how God does it. So, as we read Joseph, keep in mind, he's faithful yet he suffers. He does so to save many lives. And he's the hinge person to what God is doing next in his big story in the Bible. Therefore, as we look at Joseph, the big idea is that living with God's perspective and promise can make a huge difference in your life. Living with God's perspective and promise can make a huge difference in your life. So, two readings, chapter 45 and chapter 50, and we'll start with 45, um, and the big idea is God has, I'll get this right, sent me, me before you. There you go. Uh, before you. I couldn't spell. God has sent me before you. There you go. God has sent me before you. So, 20 years later, after Joseph's brothers trafficked him for money, they faked his death to the rest of the family. Soon after that, Joseph had a false sexual misconduct allegations made against him, and he spent a few years in jail. He made lots of friends in jail who then forgot about him. Until the wisdom God gave him is noticed finally, and he's installed as the Prime Minister of Egypt. There's been two years of famine out of seven, so there's five more to go, and it's come across the whole region, and Joseph is now in charge of all the food. And it's so widespread that travelers come from all over, like north, from the land of Canaan, Joseph's homeland, to seek relief. And on this particular day, an ordinary day, ten weary travelers knock on Joseph's front door. They're Joseph's brothers, whom he recognizes instantly. The youngest brother wasn't there. And once learning through Judah, through his brother Judah, that, um, that Judah would take the place of one of his own brother's lives if that would save them, Joseph reveals his identity, overjoyed to hear they're different men than the ones that threw him in a pit all those years ago. And in chapter 45, the, the key part of this isn't that Joseph reveals his identity to his brothers, it's that Joseph comes to realize God's handiwork in all that's happened to him. Is the first time Joseph realizes it. You see it on the screen. Listen to this. Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. 
when you've done so, he said, I'm your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years there's been famine and for the next five years there'll be no plowing or reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of Egypt. Joseph is coming to realize God sent him here through the actions of his brothers to preserve the family line so that the blessing and promise can continue in the face of an extreme drought. And he uses this little word to describe what's going on, the word remnant. It's a really important word. It's the first time we see it in the, in the Bible. But you'll see it popping up again and again in the Old Testament. And it just means preserving through a trial. Because God keeps his side of the covenant. He will fulfill the promise. Which means he will always guarantee the survival of his people. And that will, that will mean there's always a remnant left. Because God will guarantee it. And once Joseph realized that, it changes his perspective on the situation. See, if you view God as leading and guiding in life, even when circumstances are positive, even when you don't know what will come next, or how to live with your reputational damage or family dynamic, just like Joseph was facing, Christianity offers you another way to look at it. From a human perspective, Joseph's life was just one hard knock after the other, no meaning. But Joseph comes to understand his life has tremendous meaning. Because the good rescue that he mentions is the salvation of the family line so the promise will come to all the nations. The faithful one, Joseph, suffers for the salvation of others. And that's the point of the Joseph story. Which sets up, in the biblical story, the big picture, the greatest example of God's purpose coming out from tragedy. It's the death of Jesus on a cross. God would send this Jesus from this preserved family line. And many years later, an angel would knock at the door of another Joseph and say about a baby who's just going to be born, give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And that's this Jesus spoken of does not rescue us from a physical famine, but from the danger of death, a spiritual famine, a life without God. And before us today at Christmas time is a saviour who says, like Joseph, come to me, who says, do not be distressed, who says, yes, you have sinned against a holy God, not just people, but I am here to save you by my life and by my great deliverance, having gone before you into death and out the other side to forgive and make you and preserve you until you arrive at that future, even if you suffer for a little while now. And that way of looking at our life is what Christianity invites us to consider. To have a forward-looking perspective. God has sent me before you. But, not only that, Joseph can also say in chapter 50, God has used, used me for you. God has used me for you. So, let's jump in the future again, 17 years now, from chapter 45. And we land in chapter 50, and Jacob, the the boy's dad, the 12 brothers' dad, he has died. 
And at this point in time, the 11 brothers begin to fear that Joseph has only been nice because daddy was living. Such is the family dynamic. 17 years, guilt has been slowly eating them alive as they wonder what Joseph will do. And the only thing stopping them Stopping the guilt consuming them was their dad, who's no longer around. Perhaps Joseph will now get his revenge, right? Hey, in the Hunger Games, there's this great, if you've read them, um, the last book, um, the, there's, I'll tell you the whole story. If, if you haven't read the Hunger Games and want to, block your ears. If you don't really care, then listen and I'll explain it. Um, at the end of the book, in District 13, they win against the capital. And there's a big meeting to work out what do we do now? Because we've got all these survivors. And, how, and, and they've inflicted terrible punishment and suffering on us. So what do we do with them, right? So they decide the capital should feel the pain done to them by sending all of their kids into another Hunger Games-style arena, which is a fight to the death, except one person. And one character in this room, sitting around a table, Joanna, she says, it seems fair to me, Snow, the president, has a granddaughter. I vote yes, send her in. And if you've read all the books, there's this morally conflicting moment in the story because you want justice, right? But you realize in an attempt to give justice, they're becoming like the oppressor was. Is this one of those moments in Genesis 50? You can hear the deception and the fear and the desperation in the brother's voice in in three ways. They appeal to your father. So your father said this, not our father. They know Joseph was the favorite, so they want to lean into it to get favor with him. It's flattery. The thing is, that's a lie, though, what they say. Jacob never said that. Then, notice they don't even say this in person. They send a message to tell Joseph. How often when you've done wrong, do you not want to confront the person? To be in the same room, to look them in the eye for shame and fear. That's the brothers. And thirdly, they say, we are your servants. Again, when you do wrong, how often do you say, I'll do anything to fix it. What do you want me to do to make it right? That's the brothers. And then and that leads to probably one of the most famous verses in all of Genesis. It's Genesis 50, verse 20. But let's look at the context first. From 19 to 21, from Genesis 50, 19 to 20, 21. Oops, yeah, 21. Look at that for context. Listen to what it says. Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I'll provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. I want to look at three parts to his reply that again show the perspective that God gives Joseph. The first one is a runner of room. Justice, I'll put it here. You probably can't see it. Justice. Uh, Joseph looks to God for justice. He's not sweeping the actions under the rug. He knows they hurt him deeply. But he's carrying their wrongdoings. And he lays it at the feet of God, the one who will judge all hearts and minds and people. To let God judge those who have wronged us is seeking justice. In life, we want to appeal to a higher power when we're wronged, whether it be the courts or 
mum and dad or your boss or someone, right? And Joseph is able to face the injustice that he went through because he knows that God is faithful, forgiving and just and is the highest one. But imagine too if Joseph had said, sure, go to prison, languish and die. Wouldn't say much about a man who is blessed by God his entire life to keep the promise line going if he wipes them all out. And because Joseph knew this, he knew God put him there to save the family, not to be in a place of handing out justice to them. When Andrew said Jesus would save his people from their sins, he was talking about a similar moment. You see, built into a Christian is the framework for forgiveness and suffering injustice because of our life with Jesus. Christians don't ignore wrongs in the world. We stand up for injustice. We fight for the evil, recognizing the goodness of God. But we do not let wrongs eat us from the inside out. When sinned against, Christianity invites us to to not say, that's not fair, because we are reminded that our sin before God is forgiven. We are reminded that Jesus carries our burdens and all the injustice done to me is put onto him as he, and it dies at the cross. So that I can operate from a position of love, knowing that I'm already forgiven in Christ, no matter what happens to me. And that's a really big, great way to lift your burdens, actually, knowing that Jesus has carried it when you've been sinned against. And then we extend that to others holding that God will grant justice, now in this life or in the life to come. Secondly, uh, Joseph looks beyond their plans to God's purpose. So justice and purpose. Uh, He's not ignorant of the reality. Joseph knows they wanted to kill him. Christianity is not asking you to be ignorant of the realities of a suffering world. It just asks you to consider it all from God's perspective. Joseph knew their intentions were at odds with God because God intended their evil for good. And notice how Joseph words this, and listen for the word now at the very end. God intended it for good to accomplish what is now. Joseph could not see the good in the moment they harmed him. He had no idea, being thrown into a pit, sold as a slave, languishing in jail, or even why he made the prime minister role. Christianity invites us to look at what God is doing because our whole life is a series of decisions and plans that we hardly have any control over. And if you're older than me, I think you'll understand that. Suffering and justice is part of everyone's story to various degrees, but with God there's a new perspective on the why. And the great comfort that Christianity gives is that no matter how foggy my life is, God is working. Uh, Natasha and me have a shared calendar on our phones, maybe you do too, and we manage our life that way. And a few weeks back, we recently made some changes um, uh, because we kept having conflicting plans and the dates weren't put in properly. I didn't see things and she didn't see things and it was all a bit of a mess. Then we aligned to the same agenda and suddenly it made life so much easier knowing our calendars were in sync. And my point in all of this is that perhaps the perspective you need today is to know there's another calendar that your story has been written onto and to consider what comfort it is to know the one doing the writing and event planning 
is your kind, good, sovereign God? Have you subscribed to God's calendar that he's writing for your life? But it's more than that. And this is why the context matters. When people talk about these verses, we often say the first part, God intended it for good. And we refer to a part in which God might bring good out of a wrongdoing that's been done to us. But that's not Joseph's point. His statement is not a claim that God blesses with good because we're harmed by others. Notice what he says. Through something wrong done to Joseph, God did something good for other people. Joseph doesn't say the good was being prime minister in Egypt. Yeah, the situation is that, for sure. God put him there, but that wasn't the good that God intended. That is, Joseph sees it as out, outworking the promise to the family, which is what he says in verse 21, I'll provide for your, you and your children. This is a kingdom good, not an individual good. Joseph suffers to save his family, just as Jesus the faithful one suffers for the sins of the world to make us his family, providing for us from his abundant resources as a sovereign ruler, which are the heavenly blessings of a life with God. Yes, God will provide all your needs in Christ. Do not worry about what you will eat or drink or what you will put on or wear. Seek first his kingdom and all his righteousness and these things will be added to you, says Jesus himself. And I guarantee that when God does provide, it will look ridiculously different than what you could have ever planned or imagined. Because that is the kind of God we have. The third thing, and we'll finish this, is kindness. And I have no room, but I'll put it here. At the bottom, kindness. Joseph responds, it looks on them with kindness. Notice how his faith in God and the perspective faith gives looks on the ground in this moment. Joseph's God not only enables him to carry the wrongdoing, but to be a source of provision and kindness and assurance to them. And this is ridiculously countercultural. It's one thing to carry someone's wrongdoing when they hurt you. It's another thing to comfort the wrongdoer when they've hurt you. Do you see what Joseph does and how the gospel changes our view of suffering? The one who wronged Joseph, Joseph is comforting them. He's comforting his brothers and they've wronged him. Here's the thing. He's, the, he's a calm, non-anxious presence because of his God. He acts with mercy and compassion speaking with kindness to comfort their hearts. And he does that in response to how they've treated him. Christianity invites us to welcome, love, and help people persevere in life so they can become more like Jesus. I wonder this morning, do you need to realize not just about God's calendar for your life, but how you act and react to what happens to you? You see, the joy of that heavenly perspective is it apparent in your decision-making and how you treat others? But here's the thing. We have to end with the brothers, not Joseph. As they bowed before Joseph, the secret, dare I say the secret, is that we adopt that same position before Jesus, our brother, recognizing all the evil we've done, all the injustice done to us, yes. But then hear this, the great words of comfort, I think six times Joseph cries in those verses, maybe even more. Well, as Jesus weeps for you, 
He looks on at you and all your distress and he says, don't be afraid. I will provide for you. I will provide a future inheritance. I will rescue you from Satan's sin and death. I will be next to you in all the injustice and suffering of this life. I will bring you to a place of heavenly rest and persevere and provide for you and your children so that you can live every day showing off the kindness of Jesus to others. And this this Christmas, I invite you to that radical way of living in which realizes Jesus is the one to save us. He is with us, walking along the road of life every step of the way. Because the way back home is actually a wooden cross who someone came to meet us on the road of life to bring us there. Let me pray, and then my joy to hand over to Micah to lead us in prayer as well. Father God, uh, thank you for the story of Joseph. And you've used his life to set up a pattern of how the innocent one suffers for many to bring us to salvation, to knowledge of you. And you do that through Jesus Christ. Born at Christmas to save us from our sins, Lord, may we be so humbled and in awe of your kindness. Father, we know that life is tricky and hard and full of conflict and suffering and evil. And as we navigate that, may your kindness be evident. May we be humble for you, recognizing our own need of your grace. And by your spirit and by your strength, help us to show that same love and forgiveness to others. And walk with us all of life, we pray. Amen.